Now, the Wealth Protection Diva is a successful entrepreneur, business owner, and premier business strategist, president and CEO of Sage International Incorporated, and a national speaker, best-selling author, and motivational teacher of financial education, business development, and wealth protection strategies, the joys and frustrations of being a business owner. Her insights are motivating, her frankness inspiring. Here is Sherry Hill. Traditional management teaching would have us believe that the ideal organization is orderly and stable. Yet when successful leaders talk about the personal best achievements, they talk about challenging the process, about changing things, about shaking up the organization. At the same time, leadership myth portrays the leader as a renegade who magnetizes a band of followers with courageous acts. In fact, leaders attract followers not because of their willful defiance, but because of their deep respect for the aspirations of others. My guest today is Hugh Ballou, a transformational leadership strategist who teaches leaders around the globe how to build synergy with teams and how to build effective processes that bring success to any organization, no matter how big or how small. He brings a wealth of experience as a prominent conductor of musical ensembles to his innovative leadership approach. He is the author of multiple books on transformational leadership and works as executive coach, process facilitator, and strategist. As a powerful motivational speaker, he teaches the fine art of leadership employed every day by musical conductors. Well, Hugh, welcome! I feel welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's been such a long time since we connected, and as I I said earlier, I'm reaching back out to all those great mentors and people I enjoyed learning from to get them onto my show, so you are no exception, my friend. So, awesome. But let's start with you telling us how a conductor of orchestras and choirs can teach leadership. It's the quintessential example of transformational leadership. If you think about gathering individuals, either singers or instrumentalists, then you transform the individuals into a unit we call a choir or an orchestra. And then we transform that unit into what's called an ensemble. So it's a high-functioning culture. And so for 40 years, I created high-functioning cultures with consummate professionals, people that were very good at what they did. So the the similarity, I mean, that's leadership. Leaders in my world are A, a person that gets things done, B, a person that knows or learns how those things get done, and C, a leader is a person of influence. And a common perception with people who are not conductors is that the conductor is, in fact, a dictator. Well, I'm here to tell you, just because we have a little white stick does not mean that you can make anybody do anything. We are, however, an influencer. So the culture performs at a high level because we invite them to do that and we create the space for them to do that. So I've transposed the style of leadership get that musical analogy, I've transposed the analogy of musical leadership as a conductor 
into the corporate boardroom, into the church council, into the nonprofit board. So it's us as a leader orchestrating a high-performing team and conducting transformation. So there is a synergy in that whole metaphor. And most people have seen a choir or an orchestra, and they understand the power of the synergy that we do when we work, that we get when we work together. Does that explain why a conductor knows leadership? I guess so, because, but, you know, it's kind of funny. I read one of your, on your bio somewhere, it says, you know, you spent those 40 years with your back to the audience, and now you're actually turned around and helping leaders create much better organizations. Obviously, these are professionals that are coming together. The guy that knows how to play the oboe and the saxophone and the violin, you know, they've worked very hard to be great. When you go into organizations, I mean, you've got people at every level of experience, age, knowledge, you name it. So how do you move that into reality of some of the companies that you've worked with? It's a process. It's a process of learning. We've been taught things that don't work anymore. We've been taught that the leader has to have all the answers. Well, in my world, the leader has the questions. Now, we hold the vision. The conductor understands how they want the music to sound, and they've worked through how to empower. It's, it's a teaching place. We mentor people, we inspire them, and we guide them in getting to that vision. And the leader in a company is no different. We have a written plan, we have a clear vision, and we're able to articulate it so people can understand. And I find that time after time that leaders don't have the clarity. We're entrepreneurs, and we tend to run around and do a lot of things, and we tend to have lots of great ideas in our mind locked away, and we expect people to know it by osmosis. And uh, sadly, I find that true in some large companies where they're there's an assumption that people know things, and it hadn't. We haven't really clearly defined the the, the uh, expectations, and we. So we back to what I said before. We as leaders actually set up problems because we've not been clear on the front end, and we haven't created the culture of excellence. So I find that once the leader changes, others in the culture change as a response to that. Because there's nothing we can do to change other people. We change what we do about what they're doing, and we change ourselves. And then we no longer enable uh, low-functioning behavior. And, and it depends on us knowing ourselves and managing ourselves and, and being the leader. This is Sherry Hill. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show with guest Hugh Ballou, who is a transformational leadership strategist, and he's actually based out there in uh, Virginia, clear across the country. But I've known him for many years, and I've had him on past teleseminars, and of course we've interacted, and I've learned from him live in workshops and things like that, and I just always had so much fun because of the way that you present and speak and teach. And by the end, of course, we're all singing or doing something together because you are an orchestra leader and a choir leader. But so when we talk about leadership today, because obviously, you know, Hugh, we're getting older, but leaders are getting younger. And so as you're brought into organizations and certainly the management team and things like that, 
are younger than, you know, traditional, I guess, is maybe a word that I could use there. But so how is it different with the younger generation who are now stepping up and leading companies um, that is from the old kind of way? Well, um, I'm a boomer, and the the workforce that's coming into their own is, is the millennial generation. They're up to age 34, I think 18 to 34, somewhere in that realm. And um, they, millennials see the world a little differently than boomers. However, we are value-driven and we're anchored in integrity. We actually have more in common. We just approach the world differently. And boomers have created a lot of fat. We have uh, companies that have many layers of management. We have under-functioning cultures. The Gallup, a recent Gallup poll said that um, 70% of the American workforce is either disengaged or actively disengaged. They equate that to $500 billion of lost revenue, I mean lost profit. You know, we can improve our bottom line just by improving the function of the company. So boomers have created some problems that now the millennials have a chance to come in and tighten up. So they bring a fresh perspective. If we as boomers are able to share the methodology, intellectual property, the, the, the stuff we've learned with them, it's, it's a really healthy transition. So we're retiring, moving out of the workforce. They're moving in, and, and it really requires leadership is based on relationship communication is not data it's based on relationship so how do we create relationship in the culture that it's a more of a collaborative relationship that we actually get more done in less time and actually it's more fun so it's up to the leader to create that collaboration we tend to hide behind instruments like Myers-Briggs or DISC or one of those who tend to hide behind Agile or, or Six Sigma, thinking that's going to fix everything, when those are tools. And underneath those tools, we need to really talk to each other and create this, this culture of collaboration and create this, this communication. It's really a new architecture of engagement. It's a, it's a culture. I'm a culture creation architect. We, we move the culture from a bunch of instrumentalists playing into an orchestra and then into an ensemble. So there is a challenge that millennials have, but they're up to the task. I, um, you might not know, since I've seen you last, I published, last year I've published the National Leadership Magazine for nonprofit leaders. And the, and the issue uh, a few months ago was on millennials, the whole issue. Um, if you go to nonprofitperformance.org, nonprofitperformance.org, you'll see the magazine. You can read it online for free in a flip book. But the whole issue was about the issues the nonprofit sector has with uh, onboarding and, and, and uh, bringing in millennials to the culture. And my article was about the similarities we have, not about our differences. So they bring a great perspective if we as boomers allow that to happen. Yeah. So there's a great opportunity there. Yeah, I like I like that. And of course, I, you know, I love people and I love innovation and, and entrepreneurial, of course. And so I'm always open to fresh ideas, fresh perspectives. And some days I wish somebody else was the leader, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah. not so. Uh, anyway, Hugh, we have to go to break. We come back. We're going to pick up on this uh, really good conversation that we're just diving into. And so I appreciate you being here. So stick with us. We'll be right back. This is Robert Cornish from Reno, Nevada. You are listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she supports coaching. Sherry Hill is taking care of business. Sage International Incorporated fosters the entrepreneurial spirit by first educating our clients. In fact, we wrote the best-selling book, Incorporate and Get Rich, as recommended by Robert Kiyosaki in his bestseller, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. For over 20 years, we've taught thousands of business owners, investors, professionals, and entrepreneurs how to properly structure their business and personal assets to avoid the three flaming arrows of challenge, income taxes, liability exposure, probate and death taxes. Call Sage International Incorporated at 1-800-254-5779 to set up a free 30-minute consultation. That's 1-800-254-5779. Sage International. This is Michael Lewis from Truckee, California. You are listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she gives a voice to local businesses. Sherry Hill is a business owner's best friend. Welcome back to The Sherry Hill Show, doing everything possible to spark and fuel your entrepreneurial dreams. Now, here's your host, Sherry Hill. Leaders spend considerable effort gazing across the horizon of time, imagining what it will be like when they have arrived at their final destinations. Some call it vision. Others describe it as a purpose, mission, goal, even personal agenda. Regardless of what we call it, there is a desire to make something happen, to change the way things are, to create something that no one else has created before. In some ways, leaders live their lives backwards. They see pictures in their mind's eye of what the results will look like even before they've started their projects, much like an architect drawing a blueprint or an engineer building a model. Their clear image of the future pulls them forward. But visions seen only by leaders are insufficient to create an organized movement or significant change in a company. A person with no followers is not a leader, and people will not become followers until they accept a vision as their own. My awesome guest today is Hugh Ballou, a transformational leadership strategist who teaches leaders around the globe how to build synergy with teams and how to build effective processes that bring success to any organization. He travels around the country, even around the world, and finds that you can change the name of the organization, the location, and the type of structure, and you will still have the same issues. Leaders not leading effectively. He brings 40 years of experience as a conductor to his leadership training and teaches business executives how an orchestra conductor brings out the best skill of the players that have been hired. Well, Hugh, I'm glad you're here with me because let's let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, obviously, you want to touch on you know, why you're called a transformational leadership strategist and your insights into that, but what you see out there as to why there are so many leaders not leading effectively. Well, I call myself 
the transformational leadership strategist because what I do is facilitate the integration of strategy and performance. I can't tell you how many how many people have a strategic plan that has become credenza ware. It sits there and gathers dust, and it really doesn't happen by osmosis. It happens because we as leaders make it happen. So that's part of the, we know how it happens and we get it done. So we we can be leaders, but if we don't have a strategy, we're just kind of running around. If we have strategy without the implementation, I used to say, I teach team execution, but people got excited because they, they thought they got to shoot people. <laughs> um, team execution isn't exactly that. But um, it's, it's the implementation where we struggle a lot, all of us. And I can't do it for myself, so I have what I do for others, and neither can anybody else. So we, we need an outside presence to help us find our blind spots. So transformational leadership strategist is to help the leader transform themselves and then transform the organization. And it's, it's not a consultant. The consultant's the answer I'm the question man. I'm the, I'm the wayfinder. How do we create the way forward and equip you as leader to lead the organization of the future that you see in your vision? So it's a different approach, and it's not a consultant. It's not a coach. It's it's a strategist. It's, it's a leadership empowerment person. I was just going to say, you know, one of the things I love the statement, you know, people don't leave companies, they leave people. And so, you know, you're obviously, when you're brought into an organization to help them truly transform, I like that you keep saying you must start with the leader. Well, actually, in in the writing of Murray Bowen, B-O-W-E-N, Murray Bowen was a psychiatrist, M.D., and he did family therapy and started noticing there wasn't a lot of fundamental change. And he started studying family of origin. And he wrote this whole leadership methodology Bowen family systems about us managing ourselves because we are aware of who we are from our family of origin. And there's parts of us that we've inherited, and it's neither bad nor good, but it's learning how to manage self and learning how we were, we, you know, we had this hard drive and somebody downloaded software into it, our ancestors, and we can change that software and change how it operates. Um, I find so many leaders that are bound by their past and they don't even know it. So being aware of who we are and being aware of who we can be is the starting point. And like I said before, the organization changes as a reflection of the leader. If the conductor doesn't get what they want, they look in the mirror. And what what the choir or the orchestra sees is what you get. So we need to change what we're doing to get a different result. And that's just the bottom line summary. The leader must change what they're doing to get different results. People come to work for you, and you're the leader, and they have to understand what their role is and functions. To be a truly effective leader, it's relationship building. Well, one of the key metrics in good relationship is trust. When you're brought into companies to really help them transform and to be more effective and productive as a whole team, then how often do you find that there's some trust factors or trust issues that, again, have to be addressed at the leader level? It's huge. It's huge. We do create some of that ourselves because we want to dictate 
and micromanage. I don't hire the best oboe player for my orchestra and then tell them how to play the oboe. But I find leaders that want to tell people how to do things. When, in fact, you've hired a professional. Tell them the results you want and then get out of their way. People aren't going to trust us when we try to tell them and dictate and micromanage. It, it, it infects the culture. And when, when we do that, that's called over-functioning. And the reciprocity to over-functioning is under-functioning. And I have leader after leader after leader complain about the team not functioning up, not doing what, what they, the leader, have wanted. And I find similar patterns. They weren't clear about expectations. And two, they gave them a goal and all the action steps, so they virtually cut them out of thinking and said, here, you're a robot, do this. And it really disempowers people and creates, ultimately creates a resentment for the leader. And then we're confused at why it's going on, and we actually created it unintentionally. Hmm. We're trying to be helpful, but we've created the negative result that we desired. And we're burned out. So the overfunctioning is a huge one. Lack of clarity in, in outcomes and lack of systems. And, you know, in our next segment, uh, I'll talk about the four principles that I have articulated that allow leaders to raise the bar no matter where they are. But we create systems where we limit how effective people can be. And we're blind to it because we're so close to it. So so that's a long answer to your question. Did that answer what you wanted Yeah, to no, I, I like that because when you think about the word systems. Yes, you know, this is the process. This is the way we do things. And it has to be done this way every time. So what you're suggesting is it's to have a little more flexibility in those systems, not when we're talking about quality control and things like that, but to allow people to own their position, create within their position, be inspired and motivated because now they have a little bit more control about what they're going to do each day. I'm not sure it would classify as flexibility, Mm -hmm. but I think you need to give them some room to breathe. And give them a room because everybody in the culture is a leader if you go back to my simple definition the leader gets things done well everybody in the culture needs to get things done everybody sitting in the orchestra in the choir you know does their part and then they learn how to do things if they don't know that's your place to mentor it's different than micromanaging mentoring is empowering micromanaging is disempowering so everybody in the culture gets it done they know how or they're going to learn and then everybody influences everybody else around them So your organizational chart, instead of these lines with hierarchies up and down, it's circular, that everybody influences everybody else. It's the 360-degree influence that we, no matter where we are in the organization, we influence everybody else because of who we are. And the more we're aware of that dynamic and us as the leader um, making it transparent and making it very obvious that, that we move things in the process, which then creates the trust that you were originally looking after. We we don't create a process where people can see they make a difference. So they don't trust us, and they can't trust the process. So if we take relationship and make a process, and then we build community, like the ensemble, the culture, and the orchestra. We build community, and then people have a new relationship as a unit, as a culture. That creates trust. 
when you think about from the leader's perspective, you know, when we show up to work, what we really want to do is, like you said, get things done. And we get distracted, we get pulled away, other emergencies, Susie didn't show up to work today, all those different things. Part of the transformation in a, in a good organization is, it's not a crisis, it's not chaos, it's just what is. And by having leaders that understand that you're not trying to micromanage and do all this heavy lifting yourself, then you're actually going to, you're going to have a much tighter working organization and certainly going to be having more fun. Absolutely. And, and people show up for a paycheck. They perform at a higher standard because they're personally fulfilled. And if they're always watching their butt and they're always anxious, they're not going to perform at a high standard. And uh, transformational leadership was penned in by two authors, Burns and Bass, in the 80s. And it was a model after the, uh, the military. And you think about it, when you're in combat, you've got to have a high-functioning team. You can't be micromanaging people. They've got to function as a unit. And if you as a leader don't create respect, they've got a word for this, I can't remember, but your platoon's likely to shoot you in the back in combat if they don't respect you. And there's, unfortunately, leaders that get shot in the back every day, and they're totally unaware of it. Hugh, we have to go to break. We come back. We're going to pick up on this conversation, and it's really about leadership, and I like it. So stick with us. This is Scott Waite, Certified Public Accountant and Management Consultant at RS Waite Chartered. You are listening to the Sherry Hill Radio Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she has tremendous personality and reaches a great business audience. Sherry Hill is an enthusiastic motivator. Why should you do business with Sage International Incorporated instead of filing a corporation or LLC on your own? Or worse, using one of those $99 plus state fee sites? Well, first, you actually get to talk with someone who is going to work directly with you to develop a business strategy that is tailored specifically to the business you want to start. Second, unless you know what questions to ask, how do you know if the entity you choose will actually do everything you think it should? like protect your assets and significantly reduce your taxes. For over 20 years, Sage International Incorporated has helped thousands of business owners put the proper foundation under their dream. If you want to get started on the right business track, schedule your free 30-minute consultation today. Call 1-800-254-5779. That's 1-800-254-5779. Or visit sageintl.com. Welcome back to the Sherry Hill Show, doing everything possible to spark and fuel your entrepreneurial dreams. Now, here's your host, Sherry Hill. There are four fatal assumptions that business leaders make concerning their communication. One, people understand what was communicated. Two, people agree with what was communicated. Three, people care about what was communicated. And four, people will take appropriate action. The biggest problem with leadership communication is the illusion that it has occurred. Hugh Ballou teaches leaders around the globe how to build synergy with teams and how to build effective processes that bring success to any organization, no matter how big or how small. He brings a wealth of experience as a prominent conductor of musical ensembles to his innovative leadership approach. 
He is author of five books on transformational leadership and works as executive coach, process facilitator, and strategist. As a powerful motivational speaker, he teaches the fine art of leadership employed every day by musical conductors. You, if somebody wanted to find out more about all of your great work, they should read my blog. And if they go to hughballoublog.com, Hugh, H-U-G-H-B-A-L-L-O-U, blog.com, it'll, it'll revert to my blog. And there's free stuff there. You get my free report, Building the Business of Your Dreams. Uh, I do have some free stuff, running better meetings. And, but the blog, I talk about these topics, and I, I, I kill the sacred cows. I suggest reverse paradigms. And I have some unorthodox ways of looking at the world because, you know what, Cherry, what we've been doing ain't working. So we need to change some things. Awesome. Well, you, I know one of the things that you talk about and certainly teach is what you would call like your four pillars of leadership. So why don't we run through those four? Yeah, my pillars I've put into principles. And one of the missing, you know, here's four, four, four pillars that really, if you can master these, um, whether you're leading a nonprofit organization, a church, synagogue, um, multinational corporation, or you're just starting a business, if you can master these four principles, you can be better, more effective, and have more fun no matter who you are and get more done. So if, if I'll use the, the tag, which is the musical tag, and then translate it into regular, the, number one, when the uh, conductor steps on the podium, they're ultimately prepared. And they've got that piece of music we call the score. It's the conductor's score. So principle one is know the score. And translated, that's the foundation. Your foundation is your score articulates everything that's going to happen. On every music stand and every singer's hand, they have their version of it. That's their action plan. That's what they do. So we have the big view. They all have their pieces. We as a leader bring it together. So we need to be clear about articulating, and those four things you read before are brilliant. We make those assumptions. But the leader that's a transformational leader is very clear on the vision, very clear on the value, very clear on the outcomes, and they are engaged with people. So foundation is about your plan. It's about the vision of where you're going to go, and you own that. The leader owns the vision. That we, it's a, another piece of the foundation is our skill set. We're creating this culture, but we have the skill set that, that to do what needs to be done. So it's the integration of the strategy and the performance. How do we get it done? That's the number one pillar is the foundations. What do we stand for and what will we accomplish and who am I as a leader? The second pillar, I surround myself with capable people. So the principle is hire the best. I have the best oboe player, the best percussionist, the best concert master, concert mistress. So I've got the best people in my group. The second pillar is about relationships. You build and maintain relationships with the very best people. You become like the people you hang around. If you hang around a bunch of broke people, guess what? You're going to be broke. Right. Hang around skilled people, it's going to elevate your skill because you're, you're learning from them. They're learning from you. So you surround yourself with capable people. So you've got a good vision, 
and you can articulate it, and you've got the skill to lead. That's your foundation. The second one, you surround yourself with very good people. So learning who fits the culture, learning to put the right people in the right seat in the bus, and then learning how to lead them. That's relationships. Number two, leadership is based on relationship. And as I said before, communication is based on relationship. The third door is in music, we rehearse for success. We don't do that in business. We just play the wrong notes and don't fix them. We just go right to performance. Every ensemble in the world, the best orchestras in the world, rehearse for every performance. That's where you build this ensemble. That's where you build this culture of high performance. So these are systems. And if we got time in the segment, I'll split out one system, but we do boring, unproductive meetings. That's like having a bad rehearsal and expecting a good concert. We have bad systems. We expect good results. So we've got a good vision. Our foundation is very strong. We have a clear vision. We've articulated it. We've brought the team in, the right people in the right seat, the right capabilities, and we are able to lead them. Then we put them in a system where they can't function. You mentioned you serve on nonprofit boards. We, we take really great business people, and we put them on low-functioning boards, and we tie their hands. So we can't, they can't do what we want them to do. Right. But we've inherited that, and we really don't know much better. And so the, the third one is about systems. Have we created a system where people can excel? And fourth pillar is, in music, there are rests. Rests are in music for a very specific purpose. It's punctuation. It clarifies some big thing that happened before, and it sets up the next thing that's going to happen. It's, it's clearing the air. It's a punctuation. It's not absence of sound. And the non-musical side of that, it's balance. So balance, value the rest, balance time. When we put on our calendar, we're going to play. We're going to rest. We're going to evaluate. We're going to think. We tend to want to work all the time, and we compromise our ability, and we compromise our perspectives because we're driven. Instead of putting time to think, to evaluate our day, to think about what we could do better, how can we improve our systems, how can we be a higher-functioning leader, so putting the balance in our life, which does not mean everything is equal, it means that we are grounded physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. We are prepared so when we do work, we've rested, we've recreated, we've thought, we've planned. We are the best leader we can be. So the other three principles depend on us showing up prepared, balanced, rested, and, and ready to go as the best leader. So those are the four principles that I've developed over the years, and they categorically work in any situation if a person can learn to manage themselves and work in those four pillars. And I certainly love the one on rest. (laughs) (laughs) But I get that because yesterday I, I got invited to some big luncheon mentoring thing. I was one of the mentors for a whole group of young people coming from the continent of Africa. It's a big, long story. But because I do build in the ability to be spontaneous, the ability to create, think, rest, and not have my calendar stacked so tight every day that when these great opportunities show up, guess what? I get to go and play. And so I think a lot of people, and I'm sure you see this, 
you in your, you know, when you're brought into organizations to really help them pull together this whole team based on all your years of experience as a conductor, that one of the first things you probably look at is the leader's calendar to go, when possibly do you have time to create, innovate, or think, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and then so, I have people no, go ahead. Brag about, I have people brag about working long hours and they'll take vacations. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, why? I, that's what I always say, why? <laughs> I know you're very, very intent on helping people have what you would call um, good meetings. Let's talk about that piece, because that's where the team comes together. But if you're not productive and or, or effective out of that meeting, you haven't accomplished anything except waste time. You put a uh, wet blanket on your team. That's the number one team killer. Um, number one, never, ever use an agenda for a meeting. It's low functioning. You never saw a conductor use an agenda for rehearsal. We focus on outcomes, so we do deliverables. Here's an example. An agenda item is we're going to talk about marketing. A deliverable is we're going to define the top five marketing strategies for the next 12 months that will increase our revenue by 25% and our bottom line profit by 30. So it's very specific outcomes. It's like a goal for a 90-minute meeting. So number one rule is don't use an agenda. It's activity. Use deliverables. Give it to people ahead of time. Work happens uh, between meetings. We focus on what, what we said we're going to do. We focus on what we're going to do next. Second, define what kind of meeting is it. Is it a planning meeting? Is it an information meeting? Is it a brainstorming meeting? What are we doing? It might be a hybrid. We'll first we'll do data, then we'll brainstorm, and then we'll do a plan. We need to tell people what activity we're doing. Third, let's define what we're not going to do. If we're going to spend an hour and a half working on the top five strategies, we've got to have time to get there. So we can't do the details of the strategies. We just define what the strategies are and assign it to teams to do the detail. So our off-limits, what we're not going to do is the detail because that gets in the way of, of doing it. Like We decide, here's a problem. We go right to solving it. We don't have a process for understanding why it's a problem. And is the problem really the problem, or is it something behind that? So part of it is if we don't want to come to quick decisions until we've really understood the context of what we're dealing with in the meeting. And, and, and next is make sure that if there's action items before you leave, the action item is assigned to a person with a deadline. So a champion is assigned to every idea. Otherwise, the assumption is you as a leader are going to do it all. And that's why we get burned out. The specificity is we've decided to do this, who will do it, and when will they do it? That's your accountability mechanisms where you get to work with people, mentor them, help them raise the bar in between meetings. And so when you have the meeting, they report, the team comes together, you blur the lines, you race the silos, people learn to collaborate. And here's the last one. If you gotta start on time, end on time, and use the time effectively, Start, if you say it's a 2 o'clock meeting, tell people we're going to start at 1.59. And the implication is we're going to start on time. Be there. I find that 90% of the time people show up when it's a specific number. And if you've got a 90-minute meeting, plan 60 minutes of activity because it's going to take longer and you don't want to have to cut something off. So only plan two-thirds of the time. I have a whole free report um, on conducting power pa 
packed meetings, and people are welcome to go and download it. And you can find a pathway to it from my blog. There's a there's a place there that says, oh, high performance teams. It's dealing with conflict, and so there's several free things they can find links to on my blog and meetings. If you can't tell, I'm passionate about it. We do bad meetings. Those are empowerment sessions for your team. I call rehearsals, music rehearsals, attitude adjustment. My goal is people leave feeling more empowered than when they came in. Meetings are the same thing. We want to empower people, not put a wet blanket on. Does that make sense? Absolutely, or make them go to sleep. So, (laughs) yes. We'll be right back. This is Tom Taramina from Virginia City, Nevada. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill is important to me because she has the passion for excellence. Sherry Hill is your next business advisor. Sage International Incorporated sparks and fuels the entrepreneurial spirit by providing the strategies, information, education, tools, resources, and ongoing support services that will lay a solid foundation under a business owner's dream. If you're thinking of starting a business and you're not sure where to begin, Sage International Incorporated offers a free 30-minute consultation. Call 1-800-254-5779. That's 1-800-254-5779. Or visit sageintl.com. This is Hugh Ballou from Blacksburg, Virginia. You're listening to The Sherry Hill Show. Sherry Hill rocks because she's a leader's leader and an inspiration. Thank you, Sherry. Welcome back to The Sherry Hill Show, doing everything possible to spark and fuel your entrepreneurial dreams. Now, here's your host, Sherry Hill. Today, I have a wonderful guest. Hugh Ballou, who's a transformational leadership strategist who teaches leaders around the globe how to build synergy with teams and how to build effective processes that bring success to any organization, no matter how big or how small. He brings a wealth of experience as a prominent conductor of musical ensembles to his innovative leadership approach. He is the author of multiple books on transformational leadership and works as executive coach, process facilitator, and strategist. As a powerful motivational speaker, he teaches the fine art of leadership employed every day by musical conductors. The insights that you bring to an organization that starts with certainly the leader and then building an effective team and the culture and all those amazing and wonderful things that every single person that runs an organization wish we have mastered. However, I know that every single leader has something that we're missing. What is it that truly is affecting my ability to lead? I had somebody that interviewed me one time. We had talked and talked and talked and and they said, no, what's the bottom line? What do you teach? I said, leadership. Oh, I read the books. I don't need that. So I thought, my goodness, that's a lack of awareness. And they probably found the end of the Internet as well. You know, it's, that's out there. Found the end. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> um, it, it's this constantly growing body of knowledge and experience. One of the things that we, we there's a number of things that I find that all of us lack, and I I teach the stuff. I have the same deficits that I need to work on. So 
Number one, we must have a coach. I have two coaches. I'm a lot of trouble. I need two coaches, one on my business strategy and one on uh, leadership. And my current coach is 80, and it's in this body of knowledge that I referred to earlier, the, the Bowen family systems. It's quite a, a profound awareness of self. So we as leaders, what's missing in self is we're not fully aware of all of this software that's been loaded into our brain and we go on autopilot with. So awareness is one of the big missing things. They call them blind spots because you don't see them. And to have somebody as an advisor who's going to speak the truth in love or is speak the truth kindly, who was one of the children's books, speak the truth kindly, somebody to tell us in very specific terms, and it's like the difference between criticizing and plusing, giving value with the comment. So to have an advocate that we pay who works with us so we're always working on self. So we don't know what we don't know. My book coming out is on the below 1090 rule. And I worked in a mega church in Atlanta. I had 12,000 members, 200 events a week, 750 people in, in music program. Ten, I determined that 10% of my job was music. The other 90% made the music possible. All the, the leadership pieces and the system pieces and all of those things that we need to create in our business. So our knowledge base and our specific discipline is 10%. So entrepreneurs got this great idea and they just go off a cliff thinking they can run a business. Well, 90% of what you need to know is stuff you don't know. Right. So what we don't have is the finite knowledge of how to get the advisors around us. Leadership is about identifying our gaps and bringing in people who help us fill those gaps. That's not a weakness. It's a strength of leadership. So awareness, knowing our gaps, filling those gaps, and understanding that delegation and bringing in people to fill the gaps is actually a strength of leadership. And we've really been taught wrong. So understanding those gaps is, is a pretty large one. And another thing that I've learned in my study of this leadership methodology of Murray Bowen is to look, one of his eight concepts of leadership is looking at triangles. That's three people in relationship. Triangles exist. They're neither bad nor good, but they do exist. And when there's anxiety or somebody's doing a power play, then there, there's a power side to the triangle. And you could be the one left out, even if you're the leader. That becomes a problem when we're not aware of those triangles. And once we start looking at triangles and overlapping triangles and how that impacts the functioning of the culture, it can be negative. You can make it positive. But once we start realizing that we haven't connected the pieces of the triangle and what happens when there's stress and anxiety in the culture, that's a big invisible piece that you begin seeing ghosts when you start looking at that behavior and you start seeing what's going on and then you, you bring the conversation together. So some psychologists refer to that as passive-aggressive behavior. In cultures where there are secrets, that's where people hold power. What's privileged and conf confidential is special information that only you have. You have with certain people like salaries. It ought to be privileged information. But a secret is where people withhold information because it's power. So understanding how people use it, use that, understanding where they leverage that in a triangle, and then understanding our lack of skill set. 
here's a big one. We tend to shy away from any conflict. Conflict exists because we're people, and it's a sign of energy. People are creative, so we're going to have conflict. We don't resolve it. We manage it. So leaders should move toward the conflict, open and calm and direct, and we address the facts. We stay away from the word you. We say, I'm, this is what I'm seeing. I would like a different result. How will we work on it? I didn't use the word you at all. I didn't go into this accusatory mode. You did this. One of the invisibles is our language. We use some words that are inflammatory, and it's unintended. It can be easily misunderstood. So those are, the, those are some of the invisibles that come to mind, the gaps that we in knowledge and wisdom and observation and awareness that we leaders need to add to our quiver of tools. Yeah, That's, a, that's quite a list of things, but uh, those are some things for us to think about. I, I love it. In fact, I just I got this little plaque from my grandmother's house, and it says... It's what you learn after you know everything that matters. And I just love that statement because I run into people, like you run into people that already seem to know it all, and it is impossible for us to know it all. And especially, you know, and I've experienced this when I used to have 24 employees a long time ago, this whole counterculture going on within the organization that I was not aware of. Um, certainly could feel something, but until I started to, as you say, you know, start to deal, raise my head up, accept that, you know, there's going to be conflict, but learn to become a more effective communicator, I mean, that totally changed everything when I became an effective communicator. And so I'm sure a lot of, uh, again, when you're brought into organizations, one of the probably things that stands out to you the most, but the people within the organization, certainly the leader, is that they're not effective communicators, right? I mean, that's it oh, all yeah. is based oh. in communication. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's never failed to come up in any group situation, communication, as a, as a, as a problem, um, lack thereof, but they don't realize it's based on the relationship and building that trust that I talked about earlier. So, yeah. You're spot on. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's this counterculture, this informal power structure in any organization. Yeah. So some tips. And and one of the things I love that you just said is, you know, that when you were um, doing the ministry, church, music, that 100% of your time, but 10% was actually the music side and 90% was preparing to play the music, (laughs) right? And, and equating that to business that, yeah, that's what a leader should be doing is, is all that groundwork and help and building systems and all of that so that your team can play all off the same sheet of music, so to speak, right? <laughs> Absolutely. We're empowering people to do the work. We're not doing the work. We're the leader. We're not the doer. So we haven't, we're not aware of that 90%. It's like, I meet lots of entrepreneurs that are launching, they're leaving a company, launching a new business, they got an idea, they're going to go. It's like trying to fly a passenger airliner with no pilot's license. And, you know, we're going to wreck and we're going to hurt people and waste a lot of money. And it happens over and over and over. And unfortunately, I find leaders that are in larger companies that have those same gaps that they got there by sheer willpower and they've inherited systems and now they want to change them. 
and it goes back to what we said earlier, we change the culture by changing ourselves. Mm-hmm. This whole conversation has been about transformational leadership, not just leadership, but really moving organizations to work more efficiently, be more functional, and then everyone can have a great time. Learn, learn to be transparent. Um, I think Napoleon Hill was introduced to the, the most successful leaders in America by Andrew Carnegie. And the number one tip is surround yourself he created this idea of a mastermind. Surround yourself with a group of peers. Actually, I have groups that are better than me. So people that you can meet with on some regular basis, and each person gets to share with the group a problem to solve. And people not in your industry can be very helpful. So people who are successful, people you have a relationship with, people whom you respect and they respect you, huddle with people outside your discipline, outside your company, that you have this peer-to-peer, very honest relationship with. And then we take that sense of transparency into our company. Not that we're whiners, we've got to let all our scars show. But if you don't know something, then don't pretend to know it. Don't think you have to have all the right answers. Just say, that's a great question. Why don't we discover how that works? And then you nurture the process. When you bluff your people that you work with you that you lead, they know you're bluffing, and they're going to prove that you're wrong when you're making up an answer. So being transparent and being authentic and constantly working on self. Um, I think those are the tips that I've learned over the years that we don't know at all. And the more we know, it's like cataloging what we don't know. I worked with some of the best conductors in the world, and they were so aware of what they didn't know and they work harder than anybody in the room in understanding the music and making it come alive. And that was an inspiration. They were ordinary people, but they were top of their field because they constantly worked and they constantly drove for that value they saw, that vision they saw, and the outcome that they wanted to have. So they were dedicated and authentic about getting that, that music realized as they could hear it in their mind. So we as leaders, be transparent, be authentic, and be humble. You don't know everything. Hugh, thank you for being here. Great show. Really appreciate. Always learn from you. And I know that we will connect soon because we have lots to talk about in the nonprofit world, too. An awesome weekend, and I hope you all enjoy it, especially since it's the end of June. The Sherry Hill Show values the role we play in supporting the economic engine driving this country. Small business, the backbone of America. Send her a message on Facebook.com slash Sherry Hill Show and tune in next week, same time, same station for The Sherry Hill Show.